Good morning. Let me start with a passage of scripture, Proverbs 22.6. It's probably familiar as soon as I start reading it. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he was old, he will not turn from it. There's a lot of responsibility that we have as parents. Uh, we were given this beautiful gift of a child, uh, and we were called to, to train them, to, to lead them down the path towards Christ. And in our current context and culture, you know, our, our parents will spend the first 18 years with us, uh, and certainly in many cases much longer. I mean, in the animal kingdom, uh, if, a, if a baby spends a few years with their parent, that's considered a really, really long time. But for us, you know, we have this great opportunity to shepherd our child's heart, to, to teach them about Christ, to teach them about the ways of the Lord and, and all of his goodness. And we know that as parents, it can be hard and it can be difficult and we do our best to love them and, and we know we're not going to be perfect. And so we pray that when it's time for them to, to move on and begin their own lives, you know, that we've set a foundation for Christ. Uh, the problem is, is we're not perfect, right? The problem is, is that we live in a sinful and a broken and fallen world. And, and we have people who neglect the word of God. We have people who, who actively refuse to follow God and his statutes. And so they, they raise their children uh, in a way that doesn't honor the Lord. And because of that, the sins of others will plague us. The sins of others will cause hurt and pain in our lives, uh, and, and we parents will do that to their children. And so over the course of time, their lives grow up, and they, they have these things that have been done to them, and they continue to do what their parents did because that's what they've learned, or they have a, uh, an adulthood that always struggles with the pain that's been caused to them. We call this generational sin, that the things that our parents do, oftentimes as children, we become part of who we are, and they become part of our children, and they become part of, of their children. And we can, ch we, can ch we can chase that generation of destruction back through our lineage and back through society. And, and it's not surprising that if we look at society and, and we just take some simple statistics or, or ideas, you know, it, it's not surprising that many individuals that end up in jail do so because they grew up with parents who neglected them, who didn't care for them who abuse them. And statistically, what they find is that individuals that end up in jail are more likely going to if the father is absent in the home. So, man, I, I cannot stress enough the importance that you play in the life of your child, that it is our responsibility to raise them up in the Lord and to point them to Jesus Christ. 
And when we fail to do that, when we fail to live out our God-given responsibility, it's not uncommon that our children will experience pain and hurt in their own lives. And so what happens is, is the children grow up, and they either engage in the sins of their parents, or they become victims, or they live what we call survival mode. And none of those options are the way that God has designed us to live. So when parents are physically, sexually, emotionally, mentally abusive, when parents neglect their children, when, when parents become alcoholics or drug addicts, when parents become workaholics and they become extremely greedy, when parents just pick up and walk away from their family and their kids, we leave a destructive path for those that come after us. And so kids grow up in broken homes. And what are the effects of a broken home? Poor performance in school, emotional, social behavior problems, low self-esteem, continued further risk of abuse, higher risk of anxiety, depression, it's more likely that a child is going to experiment with drugs and alcohol at an early age. It's more likely that they're going to become alcoholics in the sense of how their parents were. And it's not surprising that those types of homes have children who grow up with increased suicide. And kids have these traumatic upbringings and have this level of maturity that is thrust upon them that nobody should have. You know, the, these kids are meant to be children, and we push adulthood on them. And many times, children have to grow up as caretakers for other siblings, and sometimes have to grow up being caretakers for their own parents. Because they're embarrassed of what their parents do, and so they're constantly trying to isolate and, and, and move them away from their friends. And in many sad cases, parents, kids will grow up beginning to believe and think that they are the cause of their parents' problems. And so they're trying to counteract what their parents have done to them, and they assume this role that if I work really hard for my parents and I take care of them, maybe my parents won't feel that I'm the problem in their life. And so they develop poor social skills. They, they develop unhealthy coping skills. They, they grow up being isolated and living a life that is just plain sad. And so as parents, we can really mess our kids up, right? And as I said, so what happens? Our children engage in the same sins that their parents did, or they live a life as victims, or they live a life in survival mode. And when I say they, they become victims, what I mean is they live in a world where they're, they're ridden by guilt and depression and anxiety. And, and they fail to, to function with everyday tasks. And what they start to see is that the world and everyone around them is an enemy. And that as they, they grow up and, and they move out of that abusive home, they can't function the right way. And anytime something bad happens in their lives, it's never their fault. They're always willing to blame someone else. Now, now don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. That what has happened to them is not their fault, okay? That was not 
their crimes or their sins or their responsibilities. But what I'm saying is, is as they go and live life, that, that if they don't get a job, it's someone else's fault. That if they make a bad decision, it's someone else's fault because they're living this life of being a victim. And life becomes miserable. And they struggle to process what's happened to them. And as they try to move on, oftentimes people that try to help, they'll just pull them down. So that, that, that's what it is for them to be a victim. On the, on the flip side, there are people who live in survival mode where maybe they've tried to address what has happened to them in the past. But now they've become distrustful of the world. And they look at the world and they're fearful of everything that might happen. And in order to survive, they isolate themselves from the world. They shelter themselves off and, and they won't allow new experiences in and they won't allow new individuals in. And if they have children, they shelter their children away because at any moment something bad could happen. That's the kind of world that they live in. And they're chained to this mentality where they're always looking over their shoulders and they're always wary of what might happen to them. And so they live with constant angst, never thriving the way that God desired for them. And so generational sins is a reality of our broken world. And our difficult past becomes part of our future. And if we don't properly handle that, our future becomes our children's traumatic past. So how does the Bible address generational sins? Because this is what we're talking about, this idea that, again, people have sinned and God is calling for confession and calling for repentance. Well, first off, we need to understand that the devil of the Greek word diabolos it means enemy, adversary, slanderer, accuser. The devil's goal is to naturally put people at odds with one another. He seeks to destroy relationships. So when there is a broken home, Satan is satisfied with that. And he creates hostility and he creates division because what he wants to do is he wants to rip families apart and he wants to rip parents and children apart. Because that way, when children are ripped apart in the homes of their parents, when they have children, they perpetuate the same cycle of sin. But as humans, we know that we're powder kegs ready to happen, right? We know that as individuals, because of our sinful nature, that's really not difficult to do. One commentator said, our natural state is selfish at best, and pathological at worst. Dysfunction comes naturally to us. So it's, it's really not hard to destroy a relationship when we're sinful individuals. It's not hard to think about myself and cast aside your own needs because, again, that's who we are at the core of our state. And so we cause pain and we cause hurt to those that we love. And again, when, when this kind of abuse happens, again, understand that it is not your fault if something has happened to you. If you have been abused and neglected, that is not your fault, and you are to not bear the weight and the responsibility of that. That is the sad reality of the state of the world in which we live. But sometimes if we look at scriptures, we might get a little confused. And let me just give you a couple passages here. 
Numbers 14, 18 says this. It says, The Lord is slow in anger, abounding in love and forgiving in sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. And Jeremiah 32, 18 says, You show love to thousands, but bring the punishment for the parents' sins into the laps of their children after them. But then on the flip side, we have Ezekiel 18, 20. It says, The soul who sins is the one who will die. The son will not share the guilt of their father, nor will the father share the guilt of the son. So again, which one is it? Are, are, we, are we designed to bear the guilt of, of the sins of our parents? Are we not designed to bear the guilt of that? Because it seems like these, these passages of Scripture are in contradiction with one another. Well, when God is talking about generational sin in this capacity, about punishing children to the third and fourth generation, what he's talking about is those individuals that embrace the sins of their parents, that their parents have done wrong, have taught their children to do wrong, and their, their children continue to do wrong. You know, there's a reason that, that is, as, as Joshua was preparing to go into the promised land, we have this passage in Deuteronomy 20. It says, in the, in the, however, in the, the cities of the nations, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Do not leave alive anything that breathes. Completely destroy the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Persazites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. As the Lord your God has commanded you, Otherwise, they will teach you to follow all of the detestable things they do in worshiping their gods, and you will sin against the Lord, your God. So as they were going in, God said, I need you to destroy these evil people, because these evil people will grow up teaching their children to do evil things, and they will teach their children to do evil and their children, and their children, and their children. And what's going to happen is, is they are going to pull my children away from the Lord. And I can't have that, and so they need to be punished for that. They need to be destroyed. And you can argue, but, but Adam, it's not their fault. Their parents taught them wrong. That's true. But if I continue the same sins, then I am responsible for those sins as well. But that's why we're told in Ezekiel we don't share the guilt of our fathers. That if I choose to not follow the same evil practices as my parents, God doesn't hold that against me. He doesn't hold that against me in this eternal perspective that their sins are my fault because I'm choosing to walk away from that. Now, I may bear the consequences of what my parents have done wrong, but I'm not bearing the guilt of what they have done. So how do we overcome this? How does one overcome the hurt and the pain that parents have left for their children? If you have your Bibles, you can open up to 2 Chronicles chapter 29. 2 Chronicles chapter 29. Again, the first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles is all about the split kingdom and all of these different kings that existed. In chapter 29, verses 1 and 2, it says, Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. 
His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. So again, we've got these split kingdoms. The northern kingdom is mostly bad. The southern kingdom of Judah has a mixture of good and bad. But ultimately, both of them are going to end up in exile and punishment because of their waywardness from God. And Hezekiah becomes king after his father Ahaz dies. Now, now Ahaz was a, a horrible king. He made idols to worship Baal. He sacrificed sons to false gods. He offered sacrifices at high places and burnt incense to the pagan gods around him. And he even turned to the outsiders like the Assyrians for help. So instead of going to God for help, Ahaz said, I'm going I'm to chase after the Assyrians. I'm going I'm to have them save me instead of turning to God to save me. And he went as far to actually shut the doors of the temple of the Lord. He said, you know, we're not going to worship here anymore. We're not going to worship the true God. I'm going to close those doors and we're going to worship all these other false and pagan gods that exist. And so as a result, he brings anger and judgment upon the people of Judah. And Ahaz was evil. And so after 25 years, his dad dies and Hezekiah becomes king. And this is what he's inherited from his father. And now we continue verse 3. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites, assembled them in the square on the east side, and said, Listen to me, Levites. Consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your fathers. Remove all of the defilement from the sanctuary. Our fathers were unfaithful. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and forsook him. They turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place and turned their backs on him. They also shut the doors of the portico and put out the lamps. They did not burn incense or present any burnt offerings at the sanctuary to the God of Israel. Therefore, the anger of the Lord has fallen on Judah and Jerusalem. He has made them an object of dread and horror and scorn, as you can see with your own eyes. This is why our fathers have fallen by the sword and why our sons and daughters and wives are in captivity. Now I intend to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his fierce anger will turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him and serve him, to minister before him and to burn incense. And so what does Hezekiah do? He inherits the sins of his father, and he says, I have a choice to make. And he takes responsibility for his future, and he takes responsibility for the kingdom. And in verse 6, right, he says, Our fathers were unfaithful. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They've turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling and turned their backs. He said, guys, we are facing God's anger because we have rejected him. We are facing the wrath of God because we have chosen not to seek him out. And so he says, I'm going to make a covenant with God. I'm going to turn back to God because I don't want this to continue to happen. And in verse 11, he says, my sons, and he's referring to the Levites right now who help minister at the temple. But I just feel that's so fitting that he uses that word, my sons, my sons, my children. Those of you who come after me, we need to make a choice of what we're going to do. 
He said, my father was evil, and we're going to choose to turn away from that evil. And I'm going to encourage the next generation to walk with God. And so the next couple of chapters go on, and he, he opens the doors. He repairs the temple. He, he says, Levites, go out. We're going to consecrate ourselves. We're, we're going to purify. We're going to make ourselves holy. We are, we are going to put ourselves back in the right presence of God. And he puts the Levites out and he says, sing and make music to our God to praise him. And they bow down and they worship and they give thanks. And he, he reinstates the Passover. And all of those idols that exist, he goes out and he begins to tear those idols down. He says, what my father has left for us, we are going to destroy and get rid of. And he says, that partnership with Assyria, that partnership with the world, he said, I'm done with it. And he tells Assyria, you want to come after me, you're going to come after me, but you're fighting my God now. Because that's who we need to trust. And so he acknowledges what his father has done. He acknowledges the sins of the past and the hurt. And if he was going to continue, he would be responsible for those sins. But Hezekiah said, no, we're not going to be responsible. I'm not going to be held to this guilt. We are going to choose to follow the Lord despite what has been set before us. And so for many of us, we bear the scars and the wounds of what our parents have done. And my guess is there's probably some of you sitting here that feel very uncomfortable right now. That you're probably squirming in your seat and you're secretly anguishing over how as a child your parents abused you and hurt you in some sort of horrific and, tra and tragic way. You grew up in a home that was filled with drugs and alcohol. You grew up in a home where your parents told you that you were an idiot and you were unloved and uncared for. You grew up in a home where your parents might have said to you, I wish you were dead because you made my life miserable. And so as a child, you had adulthood thrust on you. And that never should happen. Because none of us should have to ever have to live a life that way. And so, as I said, you're struggling, and maybe you're doing what your parents have done to you, because that's all you've known. Or maybe you're living in that world of victimhood, where you just can't grasp the pain, and everyone else is out to get you. Or maybe you're living in survival mode where you're just praying, I just got to keep making it through the day and you can't sleep at night and you lock your doors and you refuse to let anyone into your life for fear that someone else might hurt you again. What I want to offer you today is freedom. I want to offer you freedom from all of that. And the way that we find freedom is in Jesus Christ. You know, as, he, as Hezekiah opened the temple's doors, he was going to find freedom from what his father had set before him. And when we go to Christ, and we understand who Christ is and what Christ has done, he takes that pain from us. 
And he tells us something. He says, you had a father that was an awful father. But there is a God that is in heaven that is a good, good father who loves you dearly. There is a father in heaven that will never hurt you, who will never abandon you, who will never forsake you. You have a father in heaven that all he wants to do is lavish his love and blessing and protection upon you. You have a father in heaven that says, I want to call you my children permanently. Quite frankly, he says, I love you so much that I have put a place for you in my heavenly eternal kingdom. That is how much God cares about us. When we understand that, we can live in a place of security and we can live in a place of peace. In all that that was done to you that was wrong, God will deal with that injustice. God will purge the evil from this land one day. And the way that he does it is he offers the gift of Jesus Christ. He sends Christ to assume all of the guilt and all of the sins that have ever been done in this world, all of the hurt and pain that's been done to you, and all of the pain and hurt that we have caused to others. Christ takes all of that and he goes to the cross and he says, you can't be perfect, but I am. And I will assume the weight and the guilt and, the, and bear it upon the cross. And I will have my, na- my hands nailed to that. And I will shed my blood to show you how good The Father in heaven is. And God accepts that sacrifice and he forgives us for what we've done wrong. When we have that understanding and that security and truth and when we understand that forgiveness and we come to God and we say, God, this is what's been done to me. God, I am struggling. This is is horrific and it's hurtful and it's painful. And God says, bring it to me, my child. Give it over. Turn it over to me. And every time we come to him and we keep turning our pain and our hurt over to him, little by little, God moves us beyond us perpetuating the cycle of sin of our fathers. And he allows us to understand that what we, our parents have done to us and what we do to our children is wrong. And God gives us the ability to turn from that. And God allows us in time that when we we act as a victim, that he tells us over and over and over, I have something better for you in life. And that when we continue to to live this life in, in survival mode, that God is allowing us to move beyond just surviving and says, you don't have to fear the world anymore because I am with you in this world. So in Christ, we find full freedom. And he sets us free from the past hurt and the past sins and guilt. And he destroys all of the destructive patterns that have been done in our lives. And he replaces them with godly models of love and grace for us. And so if you're an individual that has experienced the hurt of generational sin... And you're sitting here and you're worried about fear and guilt and condemnation and embarrassment. If you're sitting here and saying, but Adam, if I say anything to anybody about what's been done to me, you're going to be so ashamed of me. You're going to look at me, Adam, and think I'm a horrible individual. You're going to to look at me, Adam, and say, you can't come to this church anymore. 
We are not here to bring judgment against you. We are here to point you to freedom in Jesus Christ. So if you are one of those individuals and you are struggling, you need to talk to me. You need to talk to another brother or sister in Christ. Because see, as this church, this church is full of love and grace. And that is our goal is to point you to Christ. Our goal is to point you down a path the way that your parents should have pointed you long ago. And I am not here to tell you that what has happened is is okay. What I'm here to say, what has happened is wrong. But I'm also here to say that God has something better for you. So let me finish with Exodus chapter 20. Because see, God wants wants to, to free us from our man made prison cells. God wants us to to, to be free from all of that. And in Exodus 20, verses 5 and 6, it says, As God lays out the beginning of the law for the Israelites about idols and idolatry, he says this. He says, You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I fear, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me And keep my commandments. As parents, we are to set our children down a path. And we will either set them down a path of destruction or we will set them down a path of blessing. And if you have had to walk the broken road because your parents messed you up, Christ can break the chains of our generational sin. And he can allow you to live life to the fullest. Because it is in, through Christ that we can move through the past hurt and realize that God has a better future for you. Let's pray. Father, this world is broken. And I... I don't want to take anyone's pain lightly. I don't want to take anything that has been done because, God, we have seen what this world can do. And it is an abomination what sin does, Lord. But, God, we, we know your goodness. We know the blessing. We know what your son went to the cross meant for us. And Lord, you call us to healing and you call us to restoration. God, you you want to put back together what has been broken. And Lord, I, I pray for those that again may be just internally agonizing everything that's been said in this message. That your spirit would just give them a moment of peace and to realize that you are a good father and they are a child of you. Lord, I pray that we would be sensitive, we would be compassionate and grace-filled. That, Lord, if someone comes to us now or in the years to come, that we would embrace them in love and we would walk with them to bring a, a road back to you, Father. Thank you for taking our hurts and our pains and assuming all of that and going to the cross. 
Amen.